We, we have a very specific, a unique, a singular means of coming before God. How many of you have seen the, um, how many of you have seen the bumper sticker that says coexist? How many of you have seen one of those? Most everybody. And the coexist symbol, um, the, the bumper sticker has a lot of different religious symbols connected to each letter. And so it says coexist. Now, we live in a culture that today is what we would define as a pluralistic culture. In other words, there can be lots of paths to God. There are, there are things that can have lots of paths, but truth isn't one of them. There's, there's lots of room for different paths or different choices or different ways. We've mentioned one of them at the beginning of this service, a means of response. There's, there's ways that, that may not be yours, but maybe someone else's. That's fine. I mean, you, you wear different things. You, you enjoy different things. You, you pursue different things. I mean, the, the variety that's represented in this room is profound. Your preferences, desires, lots of room, but not as it pertains to truth. With, with this call to coexist, you would take all kinds of different, what we would call pathways to God and say, listen, they can all be just another way to God. Like Buddhism or Islam or Hinduism or Judaism or Mormonism or Christianity. Let's all just coexist. The problem with this teaching is that they are not all equally the same. So these, these don't all say or lead to the same destination. They don't all come to the same conclusion. Islam is what we'd refer to as monotheistic. In other words, Allah is God and Jesus Christ is only his prophet like some of the other great prophets. Well, is that, what, is that what Christianity teaches? Or are these two now in some kind of odds because they don't come to the same conclusion about God? Start to think about Hinduism. Hinduism has an endless number of gods and goddesses. It is what we'd refer to as, as this polytheistic. We, there are all kinds of options for who is God. Start to think about Buddhism. Buddhism also has several gods, but their gods are really only a means to an end, and that is this, this sense of nirvana. Mormonism, Mormonism actually is, is so deceitful because they borrow terms. They use names that are names we're familiar with. And they talk about Jesus Christ and Jesus as the, 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 the means of salvation, but the Apostle Paul says that they preach another Christ, not the Christ of the Bible. And Mormonism actually teaches that, hey, listen, you can become your own God. You can, you can have your own worlds and, and reign and rule over the same. So these are not all equally the same. Those that many times call for this pluralism in religion say, let's all coexist. But they're, they're, not, um, they're not exclusive they're not singular, but they do, by the way, have this exclusive aspect if you don't agree with them. They want to coexist so long as you say that yours is just another way to God. But if you don't say that yours is only one of the ways, then there's no coexisting with you. 
Now you are out because you, you, haven't, you haven't agreed with us. I would submit this to you, that if a person says, listen, I am a Buddhist, but really you can be whatever you want to be. There's lots of paths to God. Then they don't really believe in Buddhism. Because now, I, yeah, this is the way. Why, why claim any way if any way is a way to God? So we start to think like the, some of the most basic laws of logic would tell us that there can't be multiple truths. The, the, one of the, the early laws, the law of non-contradiction. It means that, that two opposing truths can't both be true at the same time. This is impossible. It's like saying two plus two equals four and five, both at the same time. Okay, th those two things can't coexist. One is true and one is not. So where does that leave people like us? I think for the most part, I'm, I'm not assuming quite honestly that everyone would, would say, I believe Christianity is exclusively true. In fact, if you looked at numbers today, the numbers are staggering. Even amongst what we would call what, what they've done with polling and such and, and conservative Protestantism, the numbers are staggering as to those that would say um, that their way to God is an exclusive way and, and it's really frightening how many would say it's just one of many ways. So I'm not gonna presume this, but I am going to assume something that many, if not most, in fact, I would, I would hope and, and think and I hope rightly conclude that the large majority in this room would say we do believe that Christianity is the exclusive only way to God. Okay, so if that's the case, how is it that we're going to be able to truly know this God of whom we are saying this is the only exclusive way? How can you be sure that honestly someone like me is not just manipulating some truth or some, some feigned truth to bring you to conclusions that are actually woefully inconsistent with this book. How are you going to know? I mean, are, are we as susceptible as anyone to just be kind of led along like the, like the ox to the slaughter? And before you know it, we are coming to conclusions that are so drastically different than the conclusions of the Bible that, that how in the world did we get here? Have you, ever been, have you ever been playing out at the beach before and you're out and you're out in the water and you're just goofing around and, and playing in the surf and, and um, you know, you're just having, having fun and you're out there for a while and you're just, you're, you're jumping in the waves and you're out of waves, you know, it's about waist high or so and maybe a little deeper and, and you're playing and goofing around and laughing and throwing a football or whatever you're doing, having fun out in the water. And then after a while, you kind of look up and you're going to head back to where your chair, or your towel is. And, and you look up and it's like, there are strange people on my towel. What are they doing on my... And you, you know, you start walking up and it's like, well, that's not my towel or that's not my chair. And you start looking around and, and you are so far... Have you ever been just 
almost amazed at how far removed you are from the place where you actually went into the water. Because slowly over a period of time, there is something that is tugging, it's pulling at you. And, and unbeknownst to you, I mean, it's so, it's so minute, it's so slow, but it's so incrementally consistent. It just keeps pulling, keeps pulling, keeps pulling until you wind up someplace. It's like, how in the world did I get here? So how is it that we keep ourselves from this? You know, before, um, before too many weeks, many in this room will be gone on, on a summer vacation because you're, you're a college student and a summer break. And then many others in, in this room will be gone for a few weeks because you're just taking a break and you're gonna, you're gonna have vacation after a busy year. And most in here, whether you're part of the ministry of Pensacola Christian College or not, part, of, part then of, of the work of Campus Church, you're just going to take a summer break. You're going to go do whatever. And I found, for me personally, sometimes entering into a time where, where schedules are different and life takes on this new cadence, sometimes those things that we gave ourselves to start to slip and we, we fudge on certain things or something that we believe is really important is not so important. Even things like just being involved in, in regular worship in what we refer to as the house of God. I know our bodies are the temple, but, but what we refer to just consistent worship, gathering together to not forsake. It's like, oh, well, you know. And then something that we'll spend a little bit more time, our time remaining just to look in the word how can I know what is it that I believe is exclusively true you peel everything else away when you get right down to it what do I in my core beliefs what do I really believe is true one of the clearest themes in the Psalms, specifically in Psalm 119, is the theme of the word of God. It's just over and over and over and over again. You just see the psalmist comes back and it's like he's, have you ever been, I don't know, kind of doodling in, in your textbook or, or on a bulletin? Shame on you, but you know, just kind of doodling and and have you ever seen people who are in love, the kind of things that they write? Have you ever picked up someone's, you know, Bible, because you didn't know whose it was, and you kind of say, oh, whose is this? And like, oh, you got a bulletin, and, and they've been, you know, writing stuff, and, and they're, they're, her name is Wilma, and, and she's talking about Willard, and she's just like, yo, I just, Willard, Willie, Walulu, you know, and she's writing all this stuff, and, and she's got his, his letters all written out, and it's all beautiful and ornate, and, and it's just these, I don't know, just the, the musings of someone in love, and that really is Psalm 119. It's like the, the, the overflow of someone in love, and how is it that he comes to fall in love with this one? It is, is by the means of the word of God. You have your Bible, just look at this verse, Psalm, Psalm 119. Look down at verse number 18. And he has this, this beautiful little prayer. 
And he just, it's inserted and he says, this is what I want. Clearly, he is in love with this object of his attention. And so he offers this little prayer and he simply says, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. He says, let me see something. Give me the ability, the capacity to to visualize, to see, to understand some things from your law. Lord, open my eyes. They they are, um, people refer to them as different things, but they're these pictures and people actually call the picture itself magic eyes. And um, they're those pictures that look like they don't make any sense at all, but you have to stare at the picture. And the longer you stare at it, the, the finally something all of a sudden starts to, to materialize in the picture. They're called autostereograms is the, the technical term. But you have to look. It's almost as if you have to look beyond the picture itself and then something happens and you see with this realistic clarity, something that was always there. Again, you just couldn't see it before. It's almost like the psalmist is saying, I know there's something there. You're going to have to open my eyes so I can actually see what you want me to see. In this brief verse, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. It tells us, first of all, that there are wonderful things in the Bible. There are some really wonderful things and I want to see them for myself. Open thou. And then he gets personal with this. Now, listen, it's fine to pray this. It's fine to pray, Lord, open the eyes of my pastor. Open the eyes of my my, uh, Bible study teacher. Open the eyes of my parents. Open the eyes of my children. Open the eyes of my spouse. It's fine to pray those things. But the psalmist begins with, open thou mine eyes. I don't just want someone to tell me about it. You know, if you're looking at one of those auto stereograms, someone else is oftentimes saying, can you see, can you see it? Yeah, it's a boat and and there's a fish jumping and the sun's in the background and you're staring and you can't see it and, and you want to see something that other people can see. And so the psalmist says, Lord, open thou mine eyes. I want to see these things for myself. It is a very personal, I know there's some wonderful things. And so I'm asking that you would open my own eyes. And then he's just saying there's some supernatural, incredible, wonderful truths. So we start to pray what the psalmist prayed. And we ask God to open our eyes. Okay, Here is not the point of this message. And if we're not careful, oftentimes messages like this do it. Um, Sometimes intentionally so, and maybe sometimes unwittingly so. If I asked you tonight, how many of you spend enough time every day in the word of God? How many of you spend enough time every day in the word of God? Let me ask you this. Isn't it reasonable for us to think that someone could say yes I actually do. Is that reasonable? Now, let me ask it this way. Does God expect for you to spend every waking moment in what we would call your devotions? Does he expect you to spend every waking moment reading only the Bible? Yes or no? 
Okay, so is it reasonable for a person to say, yeah, I, I am spending enough time, not that I don't want to spend more, not that I couldn't spend more, but you know, I have a limited amount of time just like everyone. Did, did Jesus spend time alone with the Father? And the answer is yes. Is that all Jesus did when he was here? And did Jesus spend enough time with the Father? Not that he wouldn't have wanted to have spent more, but I would conclude that Jesus did spend enough time with the Father. He wasn't violating anything by saying, hey, I don't have any time for you, rising a great while before day. Do you know, sometimes we, we as pastors, as preachers, sometimes we so manipulate the word that we're saying things like, hey, um, you know, how many of you are spending enough time with the Word of God? I submit that maybe we all should be spending a little more time with the Word of God. Well, well, maybe you should, but the point of this question is not to say, whoa, man, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm not spending enough time with the Word, not spending enough time with God. And you know, when you start to think about that, I, I would say the problem isn't as much about time as it is priority. Just saying, Lord, this, this is the time that I have and you are a priority. And so I, I am going to set aside as a priority time. Lord, I don't have a lot of it and you know my schedule. You're the one who's ordered my steps today. And so, Lord, as those steps are ordered before me, I am going to prioritize time with you. Now, because we all are somewhat creatures of habit, I think that there's value in establishing some kind of a normalcy, a discipline, if you will, regarding spending time with God. You say, well, why do we need to do this? How are you gonna know in this pluralistic society, how are you gonna know what it is that we're supposed to believe, accept, reject? How are you gonna know when someone stands in this pulpit, someone just like me? How are you gonna know, is that truth or error? Is that right or wrong? Is that something I should do or reject? How are we going to know? Well, I would say by prioritizing time in the place where we actually find out time in the word of God I can conclude that no one can see these incredible wonderful truths unless they are setting time apart to see them there was something that God intended for his people and he details it in Deuteronomy and we don't have time to look at it because time is a limited commodity. But if you're taking notes, you could jot down Deuteronomy chapter 11 in verses six through nine, and then in verses 18 and 19, he gives us this, this way of life. He says, listen, here's what you should be doing with the word of God. You should be taking the word and you should talk about it when you wake up in the morning, think about it. You should be talking to your kids about this throughout the course of the day. When they're coming back from something and you're standing by the gate, when they're walking in the door, these things should be like those, those truths that are wrapped around your heart. They should be as these frontlets for your eyes, like the very thing that you're looking through all the time, that the word of God becomes such a natural part of your life that it's always very close to your heart. It's always just right there. It's this natural outflow of our lives. How does that happen? 
if we don't prioritize for ourselves, open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. You know, the, the, the challenge with just this daily opportunity is, is not so much about time, but about priority. And then the process, I think we get hung up on this at times. The process isn't as much about a method as it is a motive. It's not so much about this method. Now, methods are helpful, so please don't think that I'm disparaging a method. I'm grateful for methods. I have a personal method that I use every day. I mean, honestly, forgive the, the, the self-illustration, but it's just, it's not always been that way for me, but boy, for lots of years now, my, my own method is, it's every day. And, and this, this personal method of mine, it's, it may not be your method. And your method may not be my method. I, it would be interesting if we just took time to do it. If we were doing a Q&A tonight on this platform and we just asked the three pastors that are seated here, okay, Pastor Gorley, what do you do for your daily Bible reading? What's your method? And he would detail a method. And then, Dr. Zach, what's your method for your daily Bible study? And he would detail his method for daily Bible study. And then you said, okay, and here's mine. We might come up with three very different methods for studying the Bible. That's okay. But the motive, hey, tell me, what's your motive for your daily Bible reading? I would submit that we probably have a really tight motive. I want to know him. I, I want to know him. I want him to open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of his law. This is meditation. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You, most of you have heard this a thousand times, but that word meditate, it actually has some connection to the idea of the, the cow that just chews and chews and chews, getting every ounce of nutrient out of that which it's consuming. And he's saying, okay, just take time now as a motive to say, Lord, I want to chew over this. I want to dwell upon this. I want to think on this. Like, wow, how, how am I going to carry this with me throughout the course of my day? Because I just came across something that was good. I'm going to highlight this. I'm going to review this tomorrow. I'm going to make myself a personal note. I'm going to put this on my screen of my phone. I'm going to make a sticky note and put it on wherever. I'm going to do some things because, oh, you just spoke to me personally through your word. And I want to think about that thought. And it may not be that you, you checked off the, I did, I'm, I'm doing three chapters a day because I'm going to get through the whole Bible in one year. Listen, that's, that's a fine method, but don't make that everybody's method. Have you ever, have you ever met a mom before who, who, you know, she has a baby and she read a book and, and, and what she's doing with her baby and the schedule idea. And she's had, you know, she's a mom of two months, you know. But she's telling everybody about how that should be the way to, how many of you found that you, how many of you have more than one kid, more than one child? How many of you found that the same process didn't work for every child? Has that been like some were this schedule, some were that schedule, some 
you just, you sent out for whatever, you know, like, you know, let the neighbors keep the child because we're not going to deal, you know, that kind of, like, wow, this was all different. The methods may vary. The motive does not. It's not so much about time, but priority. It's not the process, but the motive. And, and it may not be, and we'll, we'll wrap it up. It may not be so much about inspiration as it is at times about, for lack of a better word, perspiration. Like, I'm going to read the word. We get this idea from, from, from all of scripture, really. It's not an isolated thing. We get this idea that there is something about prioritizing even at the beginning of the day. I used to say all the time, I'm a night person. I actually am, a, am I like to be an, an awake person, but I just like being awake. But I used to read my Bible at night. I'm not telling you that there is only one method for reading the Bible. But there seems to be, throughout Scripture, some pattern. Again, in Psalm 119, down in verse number 147, the psalmist writes, I prevented the dawning of the morning. I prevented. What it means is I got up before the sun did. I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried. Here's his, here's his cry. I hoped in thy word. In other words, my, my hope is in the word. I am waiting on, I am expecting something from, is the literal idea of the word. I'm, I'm looking to, I, I need something from, I got up early, why? Because I need something from the Bible. There, there are, throughout scripture, these, these, these invitations. In Psalm 139, verse 7, 17 and 18, he says, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. He's like, wow, God, you're thinking about me. And then you go on and it says, if I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. In other words, he's saying, you're still thinking about me. Your thoughts toward me, they are so numerous. And do you know what the invitation of scripture is? Well, it's telling us God is thinking about you. He's thinking about you through the course of the day. He's thinking about how great the sum of, of your thoughts toward me. And when I go to bed, you're still thinking about me. And when I wake up, you're still thinking about me. And you know what the invitation that we have? Is to actually think thoughts about him. And, and he'll direct us and guide us and teach us and deepen us and mature us and the psalmist just says open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law for God to open our eyes to the truth of his word I would submit our eyes need to be on the truths of his word I'm not trying to make you feel guilty in fact, if guilt is the only reason, well, I better do this, so I'm going to check off another box. It's not a good motive. But if you'd like to know the one who is thinking about you, 
thoughts that total an incredible sum, then you are invited to pray the prayer, open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law.